VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation, and I hope he's enjoying it well. Well, we had quite the tragedy, a couple of tragedies this weekend. Um, two young lives lost due to drowning. One here at uh, Sunshine Rotary Camp in the uh, metro region and the other on the west coast in McKay's, uh, two teenagers. Uh, just tragic circumstances there. I mean, we had some beautiful weather and people are getting out and about and uh, venturing into the water and that sort of thing. But it's uh, just another reminder of just how quickly and easily things can go terribly, terribly wrong. So please, um, my uh, um, caution to you is to be careful out there. And my deepest condolences to the families of uh, those involved. And, and of course, all the very um, dedicated people, volunteers and otherwise, who work hard to uh, help out in these kinds of circumstances. I know there was an awful lot of work done there this past weekend. So my deepest condolences to you all. Well, we had the Canada Day weekend this weekend, and it was uh, it was nice to be out and about and doing all the things that we're used to doing. It did feel very much close to normal, I have to say. Went down to Kitty Vitty to see the fireworks there, and a beautiful display was put off. Congratulations to the St. John's Regional Fire Department and the City of St. John's for that. But um, <laughs> the the fireworks had to be cancelled in Corner Brook. And I'm laughing because it's not necessarily a funny situation, but it's because they couldn't get the pyrotechnician in because of flight cancellations. So it's affecting the strangest things and the we- in us in the weirdest ways, this, this absolute chaotic situation that's evolved with air travel right across Canada, through the United States. And now we have the big strike in France of airline um, uh, workers in France. So, I mean, the, the, the ripple effects of that are just devastating. And I, I want to hear from anyone who may have been caught up in some of this chaos. And as you know, the bulk of our tourists come from Ontario, Most of them are passing through, and I know there are lots of alternatives, but most of them are passing through Pearson, which appears to be one of the hardest hits airports. Have you seen the pictures? The pictures of the luggage just sitting there abandoned and and travelers going through and checking tags. Oh my goodness, what a nightmare. And now two of the major airlines in, in Canada... Canada, Air Canada and WestJet have canceled most of their flights, a big portion of their flights, just to try and catch up and prevent further cancellations. What a nightmare. Clearly, the airline industry wasn't quite, or some of the bigger players anyway, or the bigger airports, just not ready for the influx of this so-called pent-up demand (laughs) that we've been hearing about. I mean, people were antsy. They wanted to start traveling again. Is this going to affect our come-home year celebrations? Do you have anybody who is coming up from Alberta or Ontario or United States to spend time in Newfoundland for the first time in years? 
only to find out that their flight had been cancelled? Or are here, well, the better scenario, I suppose, in some ways, is that they're here and then their flight back home has been cancelled. <laughs> we get to keep them around a little longer. <laughs> Maybe even keep them permanently, <laughs> but who knows. <laughs> um, but uh, I digress. So have you had someone caught up in that chaos? Have you been caught up in it yourself? What has it been like? What are your thoughts on the matter? I want to hear from you this morning. Give us a call. Have you heard this one? The provincial government intends to have 20% of all hip and knee replacements performed as, well, essentially day surgeries one day. Have you had a hip or knee replacement? Does that make sense to you? There are some concerns already being expressed by uh, people who... (laughs) who are awaiting that type of surgery or who have already had that type of surgery saying, you know what, it's just not possible. Um, I know somebody who had a hip replacement and oh my, the misery they went through for um, a good few days after. I just can't imagine sending someone in that kind of state home after, you know, just having the surgery. Anyway, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. Give us a call. But does it make sense? I know they're trying to whittle down those waiting lists because hip and knee replacement surgeries are some of the longest, you know, or the greatest demand is on hip and knee replacement surgeries. So uh, your thoughts on that? Give us a call. Food fishery started this weekend. Did you get out on the water? It was a beautiful weekend for that. Wind's up a little bit. But uh, I'm hearing there are quite a few boats out there the weekend. I'm also hearing, on good authority, (laughs) someone uh, I know was out there and said they, uh, you know, among the boats they saw out there, not a lot of life jackets being worn was the observation that was parlayed to me. I wonder why that would be, especially with a little bit of a lop on the water. Um, Life jackets save lives. What is it about the fact that people will not wear a life jacket when going out on the water? Um, I just can't imagine it. But um, if you have any thoughts on that, I'd like to hear what you have to say. Were the fish biting? What was it like out there? If you participated in the food fishery this weekend, or if you're planning to participate in the food fishery, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that as well. Um, and speaking of the food fishery and getting out on the water, I noticed there's a few lobsters out there and I'm not talking about the little crustaceans. I'm talking about, uh, people <laughs> like myself, uh, who, uh, may have gotten a little too much sun. And, uh, that's a concern, of course, because, Burns represent, I suppose, uh, damage to the skin and that. And uh, I have always been a big proponent for making sure you're covered up and making sure you're wearing your sunblock and that sort of thing and reapplying and all of that stuff, uh, having seen the devastating impact of melanoma. Um, And I can speak to that quite personally. Um, But even people with darker skin tones are vulnerable to melanoma. You don't have to look very far in the uh, world of celebrity to know that with, of course, um, Bob Marley, who passed away from melanoma. So remember, keep yourself covered and put that sunscreen on. And uh, I'd like to hear from a, 
an expert on the matter if they're listening this morning. Maybe somebody from uh, a dermatologist or the like can give us a call. Well, (coughs) excuse me, recruitment of family physicians and emergency doctors to rural areas continues to be a problem. We heard from the NLMA on that. Um, What kind of changes are necessary to help attract medical profession? professionals to rural Newfoundland. We're continuing to see some of these clinics and there's uh, no plans to close any of these clinics, which I'm sure people in rural areas are more than happy to hear about because you like to know that there is that emergency department nearby if, God forbid, you break your arm or uh, you're suffering a heart attack or you think your loved one is having a stroke or whatever the case may be. It's reassuring to know that's there. It's got to be a worry when you know or you hear that your local clinic is closed because the physician, I suppose, or the staff need to take a break. (laughs) They need to take a break. And it's closed and there's no one to fill that gap. So that's a very big worry. But what are some of the incentives there? I'd like to hear what people have to say about solutions or plans to help fill those gaps. It's, uh, it's a bit challenging. People not willing to work those kinds of hours that one time you used to see a physician, my goodness, they lived and breathed it 24-7. It's not the same anymore. People understand that importance of work-life balance for their own mental health and the, and the health of their families. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about that as well. Lots more on the go. We're starting to get a few calls now, so that's good to see. But if there's anything on your mind that you'd like to um, share with us this morning, by all means, give us a call. The numbers are coming up right after this. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. And uh, the phone's going nuts out there. (laughs) Really, really busy. I noticed a few people have dropped off the line already. Be patient. Fonz is getting to you as soon as he possibly can. Phones are going um, ring, 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 ring. Uh, So if you don't get him right away, he will uh, respond to you. Uh, We are going to go now to line number... Let's see see how this works now. Uh, Line number three. Hello. Uh, good day. How are you today? I'm grand. How are you? Oh, very good. What's on your mind? Uh, motorcycle safety. Yeah. And, uh, I have to have a couple of incidents with motorcycles so far in the past couple of weeks. When you say you've had encounters with uh, motorcycles in the last little while, what do you mean? Uh, in Bay Roberts, dirt. Come down by Tim Hortons here and uh, Bay Roberts and... Uh, that the main road, but the one goes up towards the highway. The guy getting on the motorcycle past the car, must be doing 100 kilometers an hour. I go on the shoulder, get clear of him. And uh, another guy, it's just going with no hands, and his motorcycle came down. No hands? No hands, just let, go, let it go out of light, then uh, just took off. Then he had no hands for a second, he's doing something with his, with his helmet and everything when his motorcycle was gone. And uh, I see uh, then another person, uh, they're, they're riding parallel, right, to each other, and they're tailgating the people, right up, right up, right up, tailgating. It's unbelievable how close they are to the cars. 
and you, you get ten bikes, ten nine bikes together, and they come over all close to each other. You know, it's the sound is not you know it's unbelievable, but I don't mind the sound so much. But they're so close. I find it uh, you know I used to drive a motorcycle myself. I I, I had adhered to the rules. But I suppose you're on the road. Maybe I speed now and then about 10 times over the limit, but that's about it, right? So uh, where are the RCMP in all of this? Well, well, they're pretty busy, I guess. They're, the RCMP, that's a hard job to have, being a police officer. Not the easiest job having in the world. And uh, uh, got, it's hard to be in two places at one time. And uh, that's my opinion about being that, that way because uh, the police are doing the best job they can. They've had less staff and the whole works like that. And... Uh, that's what happens. So the, the the guys, the people here don't care. Like if you live in a, another community down the road, you give me an idea. Now I used to walk the road. I won't say where I'm to, but I used to walk the road a lot. I, I don't walk that road no more. I, it's uh, uh, twice come down the road. Guys, some motorcycles came right close to me, and uh, they were on one wheel, and twice come down the road. They were just up on the high up. And just the two wheels on the back and going crazy. So it's unbelievable how, I don't know, what we're coming to. Well, I mean, I've seen plenty of motorcycles on the road and there are lots and lots and lots of drivers out there who are courteous, who are safety conscious, who are aware of the traffic around them. And then you get one or two yahoos who just ruin it for everyone, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, yes, but it seems to be more. Uh, there's more than one or two. Uh, 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 apparently, what I see going around the road, really, I'm used to seeing motorcycles, what they're supposed to be doing and everything. And I see quite a bit. I say it's about 20, 20% now of the motorcycles on the road don't adhere to the rules, at least. Um, so you're, you're saying you're encountering that more and more frequently? Yes, quite a bit, quite a bit, yeah. And uh, just imagine, have you gone up... Uh, uh, you're going up a hill, say, for instance, and the bikes are coming. Instead of bikes keeping their own distance, they don't keep their own distance. I've been in another car, watch them. They don't keep their own distance. They're, they're so close to each other. And they're coming up, there's about 12 bikes together, and they're coming up behind cars. And uh, you got to see it to believe it, and uh, it's unbelievable, you know. That's where things are going. Not only that, and when you see uh, guys on the people on the road driving a uh, a motorcycle, and you don't see me toy, about 10, 11 years old, they're driving a motorcycle on the road. 10 or 11, really? 10 or 11 years old, yes. Yeah. Are you talking about motorcycles or dirt bikes? Well, it's, uh, if you go uh, 60 kilometers an hour, 70 kilometers an hour on them, I guess uh, it says a motorized vehicle, right? Yeah, so you're actually talking about dirt bikes. Dirt bikes, they're on, the, they're on the road, yeah, but they're doing 16 centimeters. They're, they're not doing uh, the roads either. They're on the middle of the road. They're cutting her off, and when they get the cars, they're doing the same thing. Like So it's not making a difference, in your opinion, that um, parents now are being charged? Uh, well, maybe. The, I don't know. I'm not sure. that I, I don't know how to come on that, that bit because what I see on the road now, and it's unbelievable, it's... Uh, it was 34 kilometers in the community, and and some of them are dirt bikes are doing 70, 70 kilometers and 80 kilometers, and then some of them are right. And you're walking across the road. What chance have we got to get? 
Well, Brendan, you're raising an important point that, uh, you know, I know a lot of people feel very strongly on that uh, one way or the other. I'd like to hear from uh, people who um, drive uh, motorcycles or dirt bikes, and I'd like to hear from uh, others who have encountered um, issues or no issues <laughs> with, the, with the situation. Okay. Uh, I encourage people to give us a call. But Penny uh, uh, Daly was talking to the guy had a Newfoundland uh, Motorcycle Association. He never mentioned anything about the, the, the dike works on the road or nothing like that. Never mentioned anything about that. He was worried about the car safety towards his mo- the motorcycles. It's not only car safety, but everyone got to be safe. Everyone got to adhere to the rules of the road. Brendan, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, we're going to go now to Betty Jean on line two. Hi, Betty Jean. Hi. How are you? I'm Grant. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I want to just talk about a book that I wrote, and the name of the book is How Long Does It Take? Now, for most people in your lifetime, you will have situations where you are in it and you see no way out of it. I had, uh, when I was 34 years old, my husband had an industrial accident. Our children were 4, 8, and 10. And uh, then he had a giant aneurysm removed. January 1986. So for most of my life, we have been dealing with workers' compensation. And the aneurysm uh, I, was was a result of the accident? Well, that's it came to the point where it was, yes, because he was having severe, uh, severe headaches after, after his accident. And so I had wrote a letter on uh, in July 27th, uh, 1986 asking for help and saying that I was afraid and uh, I got a letter two days later from workers compensation saying that I was cut off so you you picture this you're 34 years old and your children are 4, 8 and 10 and you have a brain injured husband to take care of and you're cut off workers compensation your husband was cut off workers compensation yes Yeah. so, so, so why was he like, cut off because the burns were compensable, the aneurysm wasn't. Okay, so he suffered burns as well? Yes. Okay, so this was a pretty devastating accident. Yes, yes. And and the thing about it is, it's like he should have been put on workers' compensation and left. But he, I had five tribunals, five tribunals to get... Uh, get him back on workers' compensation. And the thing about it is, the worst thing that people don't understand is, like, you need somebody there with you, right? When when you have any kind of injury, that's when you need the help, when you have nothing. Everything all piles up, and, I mean, you have so much that you have to pay attention to. it. Like, you're trying to be a mother and a caregiver at the same time. And I mean, you know, you have to depend on your children uh, for the help that you need because there's not a lot of help that's readily available for most people. And I'm fortunate enough that I travel and I've done things and I've seen things and I know that people should not have to go to this. There's no way that I could really tell you how bad it really was. But the thing about it is we do what we had to do. So you mentioned the, how difficult it was and, and how you needed someone there in the, in the beginning. Is there anybody that is assigned, especially in, in a devastating um, accident like what your husband endured, um, is there anybody to help you navigate through that process? 
Not really. If you get cut off, once you're cut off, you're cut off. You and know, what was the get... reason why he was cut off? Yeah, I mean, if you suffered burns and that, you know, impacts the, bur- the kind the of work you can do. The burns were compensable. But the aneurysm wasn't. Right. So you were trying to get it extended because of the aneurysm? Correct. Okay. And that um, obviously disabled him to the point where he couldn't work. Is that correct? He was 100% impaired. So was the aneurysm then not, um, could you not go through insurance to health insurance or life insurance? Well, once you cut off workers' compensation, you have nothing. Now, like years ago, you 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 get uh, like maybe I think I might have got like two hundred and fifty dollars biweekly. This was nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six, and so like every time you're cut off, you get nothing, and by the time you do appeal, and you wait to hear from the appeal, I mean you're looking at uh, so many years total that you don't really have what you like for myself. Uh, what I did, I had to, uh, I just, all I could do was think. So I bought equipment. I went on the road for five years to pay the bills. And uh, I don't, I don't think, I know it's, it's not easy when a stranger makes a decision for somebody. And, you know, the thing about it is, uh, it's not like something you couldn't see because you could see the disability. You know, like how many times do you, like, uh, we looked after him, myself, we looked at eight days short of 28 years. He passed away in 2014. And I'm just calling, like I said, I'm, I'm not dealing with workers' compensation now. And there was one lady in there, that I, I don't know who she was, but only for her, like, she was, she was amazing. But the thing about it is, like, I'm, I'm speaking for other people. I hope that they don't have to go to this, all of this, because when you have somebody injured, like that's the time when you need to support. You absolutely. need to have, you especially need with young children. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I know, and I know, like I said, that other people are struggling, and I and I want them. I hope I can inspire them to realize that you know, it can be bad, but I mean, you can you can make change, but it takes. It takes a long time, right? And you say you wrote a book about this? I, I wrote a book. It's the, my, the name of the book is, is How Long Does It Take? And that's exactly the, the, the question. This is the disrespect of time. Like some people figure they have forever. They think it's okay that somebody were, waits for years or whatever the case may be for an answer. But it shouldn't be like that. Everybody needs to be accountable for their time. You know, if you have a job to do, then you do it and you get so much time. You don't get, you know, you don't get forever. It's somebody else's life that you're talking about. And that makes a difference. So I'm hoping, like I said, I, I, the name of the book is like, um, how long does it take? And uh, I hope, like I said, that people read it and just kind of discover my journey. And where could they get it if they wanted it? It's at Beavercraft in Stephenville, Arlen's in Stephenville. All right, so people in the Stephenville area can pick it up there. And did you just yeah. put it out? 
Yes. And are you planning on uh, putting it out anywhere else? Well, I, I just put it. I just put it out there like two weeks ago. But uh, in the meantime, like um, if anybody wants, uh, the books are twenty dollars each, and uh, I can like I have. I think I, I'm. I may have like one place probably where I can put other. You know, put some and get them. Because it's not easy to always get a lot of uh, things uh, with the way things are right now. But in the meantime, like it is at Beavercraft, it, it is at the Footstop here in Kippins, and it is at Arlem. And and I, w- I plan on having it like other places. Well, Betty Jean, it sounds like you're a, a pretty resilient person having gone through all of that and, and still uh, finding uh, ways to, I suppose, get the message out there and uh, uh, make a living at it. So uh, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah. I just don't want anybody else to have to go through all of this. And I hope, and I hope there's lots of changes have been made so that people, new cases, get the attention they, they deserve. And thank you. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And uh, that's Betty Jean. Um, when we come back after the break, we're going to go to Peter, who can't find a family doctor, coming up right after this. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off for the next couple of weeks. Uh, Peter is on the line. Hello, Peter. Hi, how are you? I'm Grant. How are you? I'm pretty frustrated with trying to get some health care. All right. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, my family doctor I lost on September 28, 2016, as he was arrested for uh, being part of oxycodone trafficking with the Viking motorcycle gang, only to be uh, found not guilty a year later and moved his practice from downtown to CBS. Um, in that time, I've been going to uh, walk-in clinics trying to find a family doctor, uh, which I haven't been able to do in that time. On December 15th, when the government announced that they were going to put out these collaborative clinics, yeah. um, I immediately registered, um, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited to get a call for this clinic. On the 1st of May... They sent me an email saying that by the end of June that I would have an intake, uh, an appointment for an intake assessment where I would meet with the collaborative team and they'd start working on my health. Um, So I waited and I waited. And on June 22nd, I got a phone call to just confirm my registration information. They had no idea about making an appointment for me. And now it is July 4th, and I still don't have an appointment for this clinic, even though I registered on the very first day. And according to that email that I got on May 1st, they are now supposed to be starting to make appointments for people that registered in April. So what's the delay then? Has anyone been able to give you an answer? Nobody can give me an answer. I reach out to John Hagee on Twitter. He doesn't reply. 
no, I've called a number of times. They say, yep, wait, and nobody does anything. Uh, in the meantime, when I do have to go to a walk-in clinic, the only one that I can access is on Monday Pond Road, and you've got to wait for an hour and a half before they even open to make sure you will get in outside in the elements. Which lately hasn't been too bad as long as you... Which you lately know. hasn't been too bad, but I would uh, pity an elderly or child in the depths of January or February trying to do that. And have has is there any reason why it's taking so long? Is the is the team not fully staffed? Is the demand that high? Well, nobody's answering these questions. So 2016 and you still haven't had a family doctor or or a an appointment yet with the the collaborative the care collaborative clinic. Collaborative clinic. No. Well, that's a that's a bit of a long time. Any, um, I mean, anything? So you haven't seen a doctor at all in that length of time, or? Well, no, I've gone to the the walking clinic, but again, like that's just you know they want to see you for one thing, one thing only. Get you out as fast as they can. You can't actually go over like medical issues that need following up on. Right. So you can't say, I have this breathing issue and I'm also having some trouble with my hands or my legs or something. Yeah. yeah like, you, you have to, you have to decide if what's. If I had cancer, more... I would have no way of finding out. Right. Well, uh, Peter, I, I would suspect there are more like you. I'd like to hear from uh, oh, people I'm who are having uh, similar issues. There are more like me. And I'm wondering how. They're going to start calling people in that registered in April when they still haven't called people that registered the day that they announced it. Right. And you are still registered? I am still registered. But it's July 4th and I haven't gotten my phone call that I was supposed to get by the end of June. Right. No chance you missed it? No chance that I missed it. Well, Peter, I'd like to hear what others have to say. I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to John. You're on the air. Hi, John. Hi, is that me? Yes, that's you. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. Happy July 4th. Uh, same to you. <laughs> anyway, uh, you, you think that guy's frustrated? Well, I'm going to see. I'm going to tell you this little story as quick as I can about the, the uh, COVID-19 uh, bookings for uh, second booster. And I'm going to see if... Uh, I don't know what to do. I can't. Uh, I phoned the the one eight hundred number, and they're in my court uh, trying to help me with it, and uh, they're not help at all either. Anyway, I'll just I'll just give you a quick uh, a quick scenario. Of what's going on with the uh, COVID nineteen second booster? So I've been given the uh, two vaccinations, and I've had my third booster. So I've had to wait to twenty two weeks, and oh, feel free to interrupt if you need to. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I hope everybody's listening out there because I'm just shaking my head at it. I just can't comprehend what it would say Eastern Health is doing or what's going on with these booster shots that they're saving for September and October, apparently if we get a outbreak, right? Okay, so I've had the two vaccinations and my booster. My 22 weeks was up uh, June 17th. I went in to try to book an appointment. It's the first one I could get uh, with the one in Monday Pond at the end of the collaborative clinic, I guess, at, at the end of Monday Pond, uh, was uh, tomorrow, 
uh, July the 5th at 5 o'clock tomorrow. So I booked it weeks ago, and everything was great. Yeah, not a problem. Still remaining open and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, I followed up on it. Yeah, everything's good, whatever. So uh, Fitzgerald, Dr. Fitzgerald have come out three or four weeks ago on the TVs, TV and uh, said that uh, anyone under 70 is no longer going to get it. you got to fit the three criteria. you got to be over 70. Uh, second one, you got to be in a senior's home or compromised position if you're less than 70, but you got to be in a group setting. And number three is if you got underlying factors uh, with regards to breathing problems or something like that, you 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 would apparently, according to the hotline, I'll call it COVID-19 hotline, that you had to have four vaccinations and one or two boosters. So it'll give you more vaccinations if you fit the third Category. That's what I found out on Thursday when I phoned the one eight hundred number, right? So right. So you're not trying to get your booster. You're trying to get the booster booster. Right. Yes. The I'm fourth. trying to get the second booster because I tell yeah. you what, my mom is in a senior's home, a private senior's home, and they've they've had an outbreak this last week. So the workers are bringing in the virus. I can tell you that one of our PCAs got it, but it takes four to five days to incubate. You don't know you got it, but you could actually spread it while you're developing it. So the PCAs are bringing it in, the kitchen staff is bringing it in, and I've been following the protocol to a T, from masking to putting on the gowns. I'm trying all I can to keep my mom on the second floor safe. So what we've been doing is I've been keeping her bedroom window open and the door closed because she's on the floor with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, and, and they got it too, and they're walking around and in and out of her room and stuff like that. But we're not complaining about the home, but we just we don't understand it that – us family members that are going into the home are being so vigilant and being tested in the lobby and masked and all this, and yet the, the, the work, the, sorry, the patients and the clients are coming out to COVID with not from us, but coming getting it, I guess, from the workers and the physiotherapists and this and you name it. So the problem is, is that aren't I in a compromising situation that I could catch it off, ma'am? If she, she ever got it, by the way, they, she, they gave her the results back on Thursday past that she, she haven't got it, but two people on her floor got it, two patients or clients on her floor got it, plus other people in the building got it. Anyway, so – and her private physiotherapist had come down with it because her husband got the virus. Oh, my God. Anyway, so I'm trying – I phoned on Thursday, the hotline. I called it the COVID hotline, so the crowd on the phone – Got a charge out of that because I called it the COVID hotline. Anyway, so I asked them, could I please still have my booster? And they said, well, according to us, you're still scheduled to get it. But I'm less than 70, right? I'm 57. Just want to tell you, I'm 57. So I said, to them, how come I haven't got a cancellation through my email? How come no one have called me to cancel this time? And you're not going to believe it, Linda. What I got the weekend is I got a notification from my email. Come on down for your booster on July the, July the 5th at 5 o'clock at Monday Pond. But Fitzgerald, four weeks ago, said, no, anybody under 70 is not getting it. We're saving them for September. Now, they told me on the phone, on the hotline on Thursday, they said uh, that we don't know what to tell you. We don't. We got no help either. This is what they told me. I can even give you the woman's name, but I, I, I won't, right? She told me that she's at a call center on the southwest coast of Newfoundland. I don't know what community that would be in. Southwest coast. And she told me, we don't understand it either. She said, we're still taking bookings. For under 70, and she said people are still uh, told to go to her appointments. But she said there's a good chance she will be denied at 5 o'clock at Monday Pond on July the 5th. 
So I told her, ain't I in a compromised situation that my mom's home got it going on? I won't even go in now because I'm afraid that my mom will get it. Well, not through me, but I'm afraid that uh, I, I might get it and not knowing that I got it for five days and then I could transfer it to my mom. So I've decided, me and my mom, who's 88 July the 6th, can you believe that? She'll be 88 July 6th, and we've kept her protected, and he says she's possibly the only one on her floor that haven't caught it over the months. So we're so thankful for that. But we're treating my mom, back in the old days, like they had TV, you called it, you froze out TV, apparently. You left your windows open, and you kept the doors closed, and you stayed on the second floor, <laughs> story, second story building. Now, she's on a sixth floor building. But we're freezing out the COVID. Well, we're not freezing out now, but we're trying to freeze it out. Oh, I don't know if you should be freezing it out, but uh, <laughs> no, no, air but circulation you, is not bad. Okay, well, that's, well, years ago during the winter, Mom used to say that the snow would be getting on, in on the people, and it wiped out half our community, TV. So I said, Mom, we're going to have to act as if this is during the TV times. So what we've been doing is keeping a window open and the drapes going, flying, and we keep your door closed. So we're trying to keep the Alzheimer's and dementia patients out, and we're and we're told that the, the, we have private physio that goes in, but the physiotherapist, she deals with other people. Anyway, she continued to go the week that it was incubating, and now uh, her clients apparently got it now on the second floor. So they're bringing it in all the rest of it. But my question is, I can't get any help, and the crowd at the 1-800 number, COVID hotline, they can't understand how come they have been told, they haven't been told to don't register no one else under 70, and if anybody calls, tell them their appointment is cancelled. And they're telling me there's a good chance. I guess might. they don't make those judgment calls. They can't know on the phone who's right. who. Right. Um, they just, I yep. guess they have to rely on the fact that people yep. won't be calling, if you know what right. I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, I find it, it's not funny, but I find it, it's, it's, well, lack of a better word, I find it funny that I get an email saying, come on down. But yet, to tell me on the phone, they don't know what to tell me. Yeah. Well, they don't um, know what, they uh, don't know what, uh, sorry, I mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, but, John, but you're going in circles now, so that's fine. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, well, I feel like I'm in circles. We're, uh, we're so up. I don't know, Linda, listen, yeah. before you go, no disrespect, Connie, Linda, but I don't know whether to show up at 5 o'clock. She, she said you'll have to wait outside. Well, and when you get there, there's a good chance you're going to be cancelled. I can't tell you what to do there. You, no. So, you know. so anybody know what they're doing? Like, how come Fitzgerald haven't told the hotline? Tell people they're, like, and how come they're not emailing people? Tell them telling you before you go that you're cancelled. Well, again, I John, I don't have the answers to that. Maybe somebody does, so we'll I'm leave it up to our out. audience to figure that out way, and, and give us a call. I phoned the 1-800 number. Should I phone 811 to get it clarified? They say no. What? They say no. Don't call 811. No. Okay, so what's another number? What's, who can I call to ask, can I... Uh, but wouldn't you... Well, I'll say you. Wouldn't you consider me in a compromising situation, the fact that I'm going into... Well, no, you're not in a compromised situation. Your mother's the one in a compromised situation. Right, right. But wouldn't it be better if I had it, if I go in a visitor? Am I in... Because COVID is in the building. Right. So wouldn't I be better off, A, not catching it myself, and B, if I do catch it, it takes five days to get under... You know, yeah, no, I understand your concerns there, but the so, the priority, I would imagine, in, in the scenario that we're under right now, so the priority right now is for the workers who work in that in that um, facility and for your mother. Right. That's, those are the priorities for the boosters right now. Okay, so I'll, I'll end on this. My sister went in on, well, i got to get right. My sister went in on, on Saturday evening and took around the pond. And I said, oh, my God, ma'am, how come? She only got, you only got your test back on Thursday saying that my mom was negative. 
But I said, man, I was still in the building. I said, my sister, uh, uh, I can't believe she that they let her in to take my mom around the pond. Like, I don't understand it because it could still be, like, still in the building. Mom said there's two patients on her floor got it. Okay. The nurse told her. I, I don't know what else to tell you, know, John, I and I know you're you're upset about this. And it, I'm it frustrated makes, because... I understand. You know, I, I understand that frustration. I, I'd be happy if someone emailed me. John? Yeah. have to go. We're I know. well over the break. Fonz is going to cut Fonz, me off. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but I'm frustrated because I've done, done my... I, I'll quote... Uh, What's her name? Siobhan Cody. I, I hate these words. I've done my due diligence. <laughs> yeah. With my no, mom. it sounds like you have. I've so done, I, I, I wouldn't. I've, I've done everything yeah. I've done, done to protect my mom. And yet, it's still in the home and it's rapid. Okay. Now. And as long as she's got her booster. She got her second that's booster. The main, yeah. That's the main focus yeah. right now, my understanding is. But yeah. we're hoping, we're hoping we can get some clarification on some of these matters. Anyway, please, if the, the government is listening. If the government is listening. Thank you, John. Could you please email us and tell us that we're not getting it and don't don't send us emails saying right. continue on right john we gotta go okay thank, thank you. you linda Alrighty. thank you i hope someone's listening all right bye-bye okay. bye and we'll be back right after this Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. We're going to go now to Colin. You're on the air. Good morning, Ms. Swain. How are you this morning? Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Happy Fourth of July to you and all of our, our American friends. Certainly. I want to talk about the uh, Supreme Court of Canada decision on Thursday. It's the Queen versus JJ. These are the initials of an accused in a sexual assault case. And this is the uh, the case that was wake, making its way through uh, through the courts in the uh, wake of the Gomeshi decision back in I think 2016. Chiang Gomeshi was acquitted of sexually assaulting three women at a trial in Toronto. And uh, part of his defense was he had old uh, emails uh, and I believe even a handwritten letter from one of the complainants in the case that he used uh, for his defense to discredit uh, the three complainants and ultimately was acquitted of the sexual assault charges against him. Uh, Parliament uh, sought fit subsequent to that decision to bring in a, uh, a series of legislative changes to the criminal code, sexual assault provisions in the code, such that if uh, a defendant in a criminal case now uh, who's charged with sexual assault or sexually based offense uh, has emails or text messages or handwritten letters, as was the case with Gomeshi, no longer can you just use them at the trial proper uh, as part of the defense evidence uh, to to uh, be acquitted like he was. You had to have a pre-trial hearing now to uh, argue the admissibility of, of these emails and text messages and other correspondence that you had with the complainant. And why wouldn't that have been done previously then? That wasn't the way it was. Uh, the way it usually works is that uh, the Crown has a case to meet the Crown has, the, since you are charged with a crime, you are presumed innocent. You have the right to make full answer in defense to the charge, not only a sexual assault charge, any criminal charge. And uh, 
since the Crown makes the allegation against you, the burden is on the Crown to put forward evidence to establish a prima facie case, which is a case upon which a reasonable and properly instructed jury could convict you. So once the Crown does that, assuming it does that, then you have to entertain the possibility as an accused of putting on the defense. You're still not obligated to call any evidence, but now you have to at least consider putting on evidence since the Crown has made out a case against you. Not with, not with this legislation now that was just upheld by the Supreme Court. Before the Crown even gets to put on a prima facie case, you had to go to a pretrial hearing and argue that this, e- these emails and text messages and whatever other correspondence you have between you and the complainant should be admissible. There's a presumption now that those emails and text messages are inadmissible. So you have to convince the court, the onus is on the accused, to convince the court that it should be admitted. At that hearing, the complainant has standing and also has the right to have a lawyer present to argue on his or her behalf. And the Crown is also there. So the complainant gets a heads up as to uh, these, this correspondence that you have with with him or her. With the Gameshi case, these three complainants were surprised at trial. They didn't know Gameshi had those correspondences. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that a good move, a bad move? That is a very bad decision, in my opinion, by the Supreme Court of Canada. It was a 6-3 decision. The uh, three dissenting justices, it was a scathing dissent. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, The words from uh, Justice Brown, I believe, in dissent, uh, they eviscerated the uh, constitutional rights of the accused. Violated the right to presumption of innocence, violated the right to the uh, right to a fair trial, to make full answer in defense, the right to uh, violate the right to silence. Eviscerated. This just this is a six three decision, and he said uh, the specter of and I'm paraphrasing now, but uh, the specter of people being wrongly convicted is uh, is is uh, palpable now. People are going to be wrongfully convicted of, of sexual assault because the onus is on the accused to uh, demonstrate to the court that these uh, emails and text messages and other correspondence should be admitted. And there's a presumption that this, uh, this correspondence is inadmissible for the, if the defense is tendering it, but it's admissible if the Crown is, wants, wants it uh, put into evidence. That's just, it just leaves me shaking my head. Inadmissible if the defense wants to put it in evidence, but admissible if the Crown wants to put it in. So that, uh, in your opinion, tilts? It's going to cause people to be wrongly convicted of sexual assault. You're going to get wrongful convictions occurring in this country because of this legislation that was just upheld by the Supreme Court. There's just no other way around it. If it's not admitted... You could have correspondence, emails, or, or something to the effect that, that uh, directly uh, uh, contradict the testimony of the complainant in the sexual assault case. If it's not admitted, you can't bring it into evidence. You're and when was this decision made? Thursday. Okay. 
there was a uh, an op-ed piece in the Globe and Mail. I see it there, but I can't open it. <laughs> yeah, okay. On July 2nd by Frank Adario and Matthew Gourlay. Uh, Matthew Gourlay works with uh, Marie Hennon, who was uh, Gian Gomeshi's criminal defense lawyer. The two of them wrote an excellent op-ed piece in the Globe and Mail on July 2nd. Uh, everyone should read it. Um, it's a very bad decision. And what kind of reaction is it getting, generally speaking, aside from this op-ed piece? I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything in the media. Crickets. This is this is very, very serious. That uh, potential evidence... I, I put it this way. If, if, if Gomeshi was on trial now, these emails and text messages and, and even a handwritten letter that he had in his possession... Either uh, the, the complainants would have had, had a heads up. They would have known that he had that. They would have got the opportunity to argue at a pre-trial hearing that it shouldn't be admitted. And if, if it wasn't admitted, he, in my opinion, he would have been convicted. The, the reason he was acquitted is because the three complainants were caught lying. And that's not my opinion. That was the opinion of the trial judge. That, that the three women went to court, testified against him. And they were playing hard and fast with the truth. I'd like to hear what uh, defense lawyers have to say about this. For certain. You should get some, some members of the criminal defense bar in this province, like Roselle and Sullivan, uh, and, and, some, and some other people. Uh, you should get them uh, on, your, on your show and get them to, to discuss this case. It's, it's really, really, it's a very bad decision from the Supreme Court. I appreciate your call uh, this morning, Colin. We're overdue for the news now, but uh, I appreciate your call. It's a, it's a food for thought for certain. Thank you. Cheers. Alrighty. Bye. 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 We're going to take a break for the news. We'll be back right after this. The workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. My uh, next uh, guest today is uh, line number three, Paul Toomey, Executive Director of the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Hello, Paul. Good morning, Linda. Nice to talk to you again. Same to you. What's up? Well, uh, I'm, I'm talking bingo this morning, believe it or not. Um, uh, drive-in bingo for the last two years has been one of our uh, major fundraisers, uh, considering the ones that we lost during COVID. And uh, I must say, the first two years, we uh, we did fairly well. It helped uh, replace our gala and kept some funds uh, coming into the organization every week so that we could continue offering our programs and services. This year, uh, not so much. Uh, we've been We've been slow from the beginning. And uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to consider perhaps uh, curtailing our bingo before uh, before the end of the summer, unless the crowds improve. So I guess basically this morning I'm taking advantage of, of you and your show to put out an appeal for people to come out to bingo Wednesday evening at the Jack Byrne Regional and uh, support the Eating Disorder Foundation. So how does it work? How does a drive-in bingo work? Well, and basically people come in, they get out of their car, they go through a line in the building, they, they purchase their cards go back to their vehicle, they turn their radio to channel 109 FM, I think it is, or 209 FM. I'm, I'm not quite sure right now, one of them, but you, you turn your radio on, basically. We also have speakers on the lot. 
Somebody gets a bingo, uh, they blow their horn, somebody comes, takes their card, verifies the bingo, and hands you uh, part of the over $3,000 in prizes that we offer every night. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's been a great event, I must say, and the people who are coming are really enjoying it. But unfortunately, it's uh, it's uh, not where it needs to be this year. And unless we get a turnaround this week, we're probably going to have to look at at curtailing. So I'm putting my appeal out there to uh, all bingo lovers and also any supporters of the Eating Disorder Foundation who are out there to uh, come out this Wednesday night. Gates open at six six o'clock. Bingo begins at seven fifteen. 13 games. Uh, there's canteen service available at the, at the uh, arena. Uh, we have 50-50 tickets, and we have an escalating jackpot that's uh, well over $1,500 right now. So this Wednesday, July the 6th, 6 p.m., uh, bingo starts at 7.15, 13 games, canteen service. You got it. And uh, all in aid of the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, absolutely. All the proceeds uh, from the bingo go to support our programs and services. And Linda, as as you know from discussions we've had in the past, as a result of COVID, the number of families who are dealing with eating disorders in this province has grown dramatically in the last couple of years. Uh, our numbers are up 30 to 40 percent, and we know that the programs within uh, within the healthcare system are also feeling the pinch with long wait wait lines and. Uh, full enrollment in their programs. So it's an, it's a very serious mental illness, and uh, we need all the support we can so that we can support those families across this province who need our help. And the support is, is pretty extensive. The Eating Disorder Foundation is there right along the way, aren't they? Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's not a it's not a an easy illness, and it's not something that gets cured overnight. I mean, uh, at times, uh, people are looking at a, a recovery journey, a journey of up to seven years, and in some cases, it's it's an illness that follows people all their lives, and we want to be there to support them uh, along that journey. Well, uh, Paul Toomey, Executive Director, Eating Disorder Foundation, uh, good luck with the drive-in bingo this week, uh, Wednesday, July the 6th. Uh, gates open at 6 p.m. Uh, bingo starts at 7.15 at Jack Byrne Arena. Drive-in, have some fun, play some bingo, and help out a worthwhile cause. I uh, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Linda. Really appreciate the opportunity. All righty. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And we're going to go now to uh, Faye on line one. Hello, Faye. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's uh, you know, it's a loaded question these days, uh, Linda. So thanks for having me on. Indeed, and um, for our, the benefit of our listeners, your name is Faye Ellsworth, and that name may My sound name. familiar to people from Carbonear. Carbonear, that's correct. Originally um, born and raised in uh, uh, Carbonear, Newfoundland. That's right. And your niece yep. uh, is Trinity Ann. Trinity Ann Ellsworth, yes. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away May 12th to a very rare form of cancer known as known as DIPG, Diffuse Intrinsic Pontine Glioma. And I see that the people of Carbonier have uh, rallied around your brother's family and Trinity in a big kind of way. Unfortunately, she lost her battle with this illness, but the she town did. has been doing its level best to raise awareness about it. That is correct. Uh, but we need some more awareness because there is a petition and we need 10,000 signatures 
to help declare May 17 as a DIPG uh, National Awareness Day. So by doing that, in order to get the declaration, it will help educate the public about the disease. It helps encourage funding to support ongoing research, increase dialogue in the professional medical community, further publicize and promote Canada's involvement in the fight against DIPG and honour the victims of this terrible disease, which is taken from the petition that uh, is online. Now, I have to be honest, uh, before the last year or so, I never heard of DIPG. Uh, Tell us what it is. DIPG, well, it's found in the ponds, the brain stem. So picture all your vital functions. So when these children have it and it's advanced, you are not able to eat, drink, swallow, talk, move, and then you finally stop breathing and the little heart stops. It's a cruel disease. Absolutely. And does it affect primarily children? It's a pediatric cancer, yes, typically between 5 and 10, typically. Yep. Is there any understanding of what causes it? No understanding from my knowledge. Uh, It may be in the development, but right now I'm not aware. So this is why we need some further uh, uh, education or further uh, advancements, because there hasn't been any in the last 40 years. 40. So you want um, more attention, obviously, but I I would imagine you're also looking for uh, a greater uh, level of research into this dreaded illness. Absolutely, and there's not much. So the more we make it aware, the more people will, you know, know know about it. That's going to start the change. Do we know anything about its prevalence, how common it is? 30 children will be diagnosed with DIPG in a year in Canada, 300 across the states. That's way too many. Too many. It sounds like a small number, but that's too many. Yeah, way too many. Zero percent survival rate. Is that right? Yeah. In part, I would imagine, because the research is so slim. Yeah, and where it's located, because it's not operable. Right, it's on the brain stem. That is the very core. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So how, how are your family yeah. uh, coping with all of this? You know what? Uh, I can speak for myself, and I am broken. Just so, imagine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a broken on a different level. And if we could help some other children with this awareness so that maybe something else could be, you know, found to help with the treatment so they don't have to go through this pain, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a voice for this petition. I can't do much, but I can be a voice. Does it help in channeling your efforts in this kind of way? Absolutely, because there's nothing I can do for my brother, his wife, Trinity's brothers, but I can just, I can be a voice to help, to help. It's a little bit of a therapy for me. And I understand there's another little girl in the general area um, recently diagnosed. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, Willow uh, from Tilton. So you know what? Uh, I'm fighting for her too. Well, Faye, I, I do appreciate your time this morning. Our, our very best to you and your family. We we have a sense of what's been going on. I know the fire department and the people of Carbonier have rallied around the family in a big kind of way. That has to be some uh, level of comfort to you at uh. this horrible time. The support has been so wonderful. It's so heartwarming to see the love. 
And that's what keeps us standing, I think, is the love and the support. Well, I really appreciate your time this morning, Faye. All the best. And how can people get involved with this uh, petition? It's an online petition, so it's a little bit of a process. So they have to go online. Uh, It's petition E4021. And they would put in a little bit of information, your name, an email address, a phone number, uh, what uh, province you're from, and a postal code, I do believe. And once you fill that out, an email will come to you. And it's important that you confirm that in your email because that's what's going to validate your signature. And you say this petition requires uh, 10,000 signatures by August 16th. Why why the time frame? Who's involved in the petition? I'm, I'm trying to get a better understanding of, you know, how this works. The, I'm, uh, his name, I'm not quite sure his name, Joel, he's from Quebec. And you got me on that one. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll look into it myself <laughs> yeah. uh, when I come off the air. But if I really appreciate your time and all the best. Okay, thank you so much for having me. And uh, as of right now, we're 8,048, so we're we're getting there. Oh, very close, indeed. Yes. All right, Uh, all the best to you, Faye. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We are going now to Sarah in Buren. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Linda. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm kind of ticked off today. Uh-oh. Uh, this message that I'm trying to discuss with you is for Dr. F- Dr. Fury and Dr. Haggy, Minister of Health and Premier of the province. I do not understand how Dr. Fury was a, uh, a doctor without borders. He used to go and help people. Well, here on the Bjorn Peninsula, we have nothing. And they're talking about taking services out of our Bjorn Peninsula Healthcare Center. We had a huge rally, <clears throat> hoping that this was going to let the people in St. John's, the politicians, know that we need more doctors on the Bjorn Peninsula, not taking away our services. So, what do you mean taking uh, services away? What ex- exactly well, is happening? Well, they're planning on eliminating ICU and they're planning on eliminating uh, where you have babies and and they think that uh, apparently they're eliminating all our family doctors out here too because we have none. My husband went to go to work there uh, last week and he uh, has a hard labor job and anyway he ended up in Carboneer Hospital in emergency for six and a half hours. He got turned down could not go to work, had to come home and follow up with his family doctor. Our family doctor left as in July, and she's not seeing anyone else because she's getting in the process of moving. One doctor is representing St. Lawrence. All the other family practices that's here are to their limit, taking no more patients, and God love them, they're getting burnt out as what it is now. So now we're flooding our emergency uh, hospital. 
and having to wait hours on top of hours to get in and see, which if you need a family doctor, you cannot get consistency at an emergency room as you can with a family doctor. So I ended up calling. They opened up a family practice in the Bjorn Peninsula Hospital, a clinic with two doctors and a nurse practitioner. I called there this morning and they are full, and they are not accepting no new patients. So my my husband is here now with a bad back that has definitely has to be followed up. And it's a worker's issue, and we can't get a doctor to look at him unless we go to the emergency room, which we're flooding our emergency rooms with with patients that, I mean, that emergency room is there for emergencies. That's not for family practice issues. No, and that's part of the problem throughout this province, as a matter of fact. And it's not unique to Newfoundland either, I should say, Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, It happens in a lot of other areas across Canada as well. People who, uh, and, and you know, we have an expectation to be able to see a physician. I mean, we have this Medicare system, so we have this expectation that we have the right to see a physician. But when you don't have one available and you have something like a bad back or a, a really bad sinus infection or a chest infection or whatever the case may be you normally go to your family doctor you're miserable you're two weeks off work you go to emergency yeah and now even to get in if you're lucky enough to have a family doctor you call in when you're sick to make an appointment and you probably can't get an appointment for three weeks down the road so then that sinus affection or that pain in your back and this or whatever it is, you end up going to the emergency, flooding the emergency room, which is so unnecessary. Because, and and Dr. Haggy and Dr. Fewer, I can't call him a premier, I can call him a Dr. Fewer. These are doctors, they know, they know that these problems exist in our society today. And now when you go to a family doctor, if you're lucky enough to get in, the first place they refer you to is St. John's. And now St. John's is being overwhelmed by, do- by patients from all over the province trying to get in and see an appointment. And that's why there's such long delays. They are going to have to get their act together they're going to have to get off their butts and they're going to have to try and bring recruit new doctors because our doctors that we have now are burning out and the people got no no family physicians to go to and then you get right back into your mental illness problems what do you think causes mental illness if it's undue stress from not having a doctor so well, you're creating another problem. The you're solutions. The situation. For the, God's sakes, wake up and help the people in Newfoundland and Labrador, not just the Bjorn Peninsula, all over the, the Newfoundland and, and Labrador province. We're paying for these fees for to see our doctors. And now when you go to see a doctor, not a, if you got to have a note or anything, you have to pay more fees. You have to pay more fees to see a specialist. It's crazy. Come on. This is an MC. This is supposed to be a free MCP healthcare, and 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 we don't get anything. It's crazy. My doc, my husband, God love his heart, had to go and get a doctor doctor's note for to uh, give to his employer. A hundred bucks? Come on, who's got this money to be thrown around like that? And and not only that. 
How do we follow up and get better to get back to work? Like, this is so frustrating. And I can't understand. If Dr. Hagee needs health care, he has no issue getting it. Neither does Dr. Fury or any of his family members. How well, do you know I that? Have you to know, my family is just as important as yours is. And our mayor in Marystown and our mayors on the Bjorn Peninsula have a group together trying to fight the system. And God love their hearts for standing with the community. And another thing, Linda, everything that we have at the Bjorn Peninsula, yes, we might have some things given to us by the by the healthcare system, very few, but we raise money to get uh, a diagn- uh, you know, uh, dialysis. We raise money for for machines to get into our hospital to do it, and then they want to take them and and just you know, well you don't you don't have a need for it because your population is getting older, so we don't need you don't need this now. We're going to centralize this now, or we're going to give you a virtual call and talk to you about your situation. Well, Where do you stress- a heart attack? How can I have a virtual call with a doctor and a doctor say, "Well, how, is, how are you having chest pains? Is it severe or is it mild? How does the patient know if she's in the first stages of a heart attack that could be perhaps when she hang up the phone drop dead from heart attack these ideas that they're coming up with they're like they're grabbing them at a surprise packages or something come on this is the 20 century 22 2022 it's time for us to have health care the same as you get in uh the states or wherever because we certainly don't have it here. All right, Sarah, we'll have to leave it there. I do appreciate your call. We're going to hear what uh, opposition leader David Brazel has to say coming up right after this. Thanks. Thank you. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. We're going to go now to the opposition leader, David Brazel, just back from Labrador. Hello. Uh, Good morning, Linda, and thank you for this opportunity. And I I was going to jump right in and talk about the Labrador Expo uh, and the great work being done, but I'll I'll get to that uh, a little later. I want to talk about the frustration that we're hearing from Sarah and the people on the Bjorn Peninsula about health care. We're hearing it in central Newfoundland. We're hearing it on the West Coast. We're hearing it on the Northern Peninsula. We're hearing on the Conagra Peninsula, here in St. John's, and I heard it also in Labrador. And the frustrating thing here is that, that, and she's right, you know, the only people who are not accepting that we're in a crisis seems to be particularly the Minister of Health. I, I think we've convinced the Premier that we're in a health crisis and that we need to take a new approach in recruiting, you know, family physicians and re, you know, configuring how we give people access to situations. But when I read this morning that a uh, family uh, a physician in Clarenville uh, had finished her residency and was waiting like other people would for an offer from the Department of Health to stay in Newfoundland Labrador and got no offer for six months and ended up getting an offer at a PEI uh, to move there and set up a practice and that's what uh, you know she's accepted to do you know that's at the detriment to the people of this province and you know nothing on her she was waiting wanted to stay here uh, but not being proactive and that's what's frustrating for me the PC party and I think the people of this province how this administration and particularly the Minister of Health is not being proactive 
effective in finding direct solutions. And the first immediate one we're hearing from everywhere. You know, I'm hearing it from my own uh, home district and my home community of Belle Island losing four doctors in a year. We're not being proactive enough to get our students who graduate here, get the residency, and then make an offer here to get them to stay in Newfoundland and Labrador and practice in remote and rural areas, or even practice in urban areas, at least we'd have some access to health care. So, you know, How does that typically work, though? Where does the offer come from? Does it come from the health authority? The, the department gives the health authority X number of dollars and changing in policies, like incentive programs and these type of things, uh, but they have to be able to be flexible on it. The department gives the health authorities the flexibility to do that. Mm-hmm. In this case, I'm hearing from some of the health authorities, they're not giving the same flexibility. There's some challenges there. You know, they're trying to work with the medical association, uh, but the department sometimes are putting, you know, too many uh, obstacles or some red tape thing. You know, we're losing people, you know, at, from a family physician point of view, um, more than any jurisdiction. So that's something that we're not doing right here. You know, we talked about increasing the number of uh, students and our medical students, particularly uh, students from Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's great. But that's a four- to five-year uh, partial solution down the road. When we have so many retiring, that's, that's a challenge. When we have so many leaving because they, they seem not to be appreciated or they're overworked or the compensation doesn't fit well and they're getting recruited away from our sister provinces, then we have a leadership problem in the, in the health department from my perspective and I think from the 125,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians who don't have a family physician. Now, changes are being made, and uh, we're seeing uh, efforts towards that end all the time. But, of course, sometimes the pace is not as quick as, as we would all like to see. Um, so is the government doing enough in, in trying to, I guess, create those incentives that, to keep people around? You know, I, I would say this, that, you know, everything that's being put forward is welcomed. And it will do a small part for it. But we need to be extremely aggressive in this province here. If it means we need to put more money into our funding of health care, to put it in the right channels to be able to keep our doctors here, to ensure access to health care and a full continuum so that we can have interventions to keep people healthy, which means we save money on the back end and people are more productive, uh, we need to do that. We've said that. I've said it to the Premier. I've said it to the Minister of Health. Our caucus would support that in the House of Assembly. You know, sometimes you've got to make bold decisions around how we are going to be able to provide health care. The first one you've got to make is we've got to make sure we've got enough physicians to do what needs to be done. Second, uh, very important, is the scope of work for other health professionals, what we do with the nurse practitioners, what we do with RNs, what we do with LPNs, what we do with uh, pharmacists and paramedics and all the other health professionals, changing their scope of work so they can take some of the pressure off uh, doctors or they can give patients more access to immediate uh, interventions that are necessary and let the family physicians that look at long-term uh, processes around health care. You know, we've talked a lot about it, but the action is not being taken as dramatic as it needs to be. And every day we're hearing horror stories uh, like Sarah just outlined there. I heard them in Labrador last week, which was, you know, Labrador is a booming uh, community up there from an economic point of view, but their access to health care uh, is worse than it is in, in a lot of other parts of the, our great province of ours. So we need to be very proactive. And like if the minister wants to sit down and the premier wants to sit down and figure out how we're going to do this, you know, we're willing to help that. But doing it in, in isolation of including all the main players here is going to be to the detriment of the people of this province. And that's one of the key things that we have here that we're trying to push back at. And you touched on it there because the solutions are not always easily found, if you know what I mean. You have to deal with collective agreements. You have to deal with regulatory bodies. There's separate regulatory bodies for each of these health care professional, um, you know, disciplines. So um, 
how important is it to make sure that everybody's on the same page? And, you know, I know everybody is, but how do you get there? Extremely important. I mean, you know, the one thing that uh, we tried to echo to the, the department was don't work in silos. You can't get the healthcare system to be, you know, collaborative and a continuum of uh, access to healthcare if you're working in silos. You've got to take into account all the health professionals and what role they play in ensuring that there's full access. And, you know, I've had a few debates in the House with uh, the uh, minister uh, about whether or not he isolates one part of the healthcare system against the other, and that only causes more havoc for us. It has to be a continuum, it has to be collaborative, it has to be cooperation, and it has to be that everybody understands their role and is willing uh, to find creative ways to do it. And all the health professionals, and particularly the uh, organizations that represent them that we've met with over the last number of years, 100% open for a full dialogue about how we do things. I mean, the Health Accord was a great piece of work. And we've met with them, you know, at six different occasions, our caucus did, uh, great people putting things forward. But now that needs to be moved as quick as possible. And, and you know, we're open to try to, you know, help the government do that. Uh, but that got to come from them. they got to take the leadership role there as part of it because we're hearing the horror stories and we're willing to say, look, let's, let's move things in the right direction. Do what needs to be done to make sure people have proper health care. Now, you're just back from the Labrador Expo. You touched on how bad health care is in that region. Uh, uh, what else is going on in Labrador? Well, I'll, I'll first talk about, you know, the economy. I've got to give credit to the uh, organizers. It was a phenomenal conference that brought together, you know, business leaders uh, from the indigenous communities, business leaders uh, domestically, uh, provincially, and internationally. You know, we talked about the potential growth in Labrador, which obviously benefits everybody in this uh, province of ours. Uh, but it also... Uh, looked at how they engaged the indigenous community, how they in engaged the business community, and how they engaged the communities themselves and the leadership uh, as part of that so that everybody uh, benefits from it. And, you know, everybody made it clear that, you know, Newfoundland Labrador is and should be open for business as long as the key benefactors are the people of this province. And particularly in this case that the people in Labrador, uh, you know, from an employment point of view, from a tax regime point of view, uh, from, you know, an environment point of view. So, you know, I had some great conversations, um, you know, with the Minister of uh, Industry, Energy and Technology, with the Minister of Indigenous and Reconciliation, uh, MP Jones, about how we can start moving things in the right direction. Uh, great meeting with the... Um, Mayor of uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay, and, and you know challenges they have there around homelessness, around addictions, uh, around uh, mental health. You know, when a municipality is trying to take a leadership role there, uh, that speaks volumes. That tells me that we're still missing something from the Department of Health that needs to work collaboratively or more investments or a new approach to it. Uh, a lot of good conversation with Indigenous leaders, uh, you know, um, very hopeful that we can move things in the right direction. They've got a lot of vision, a lot of good things they're, they're doing from a business point of view. I had a chance to get out to Sheshishi uh, and have a look at some of the things that the um, the Indigenous leader and the band council are doing there from a business point of view and from a health uh, and inclusion point of view. So a lot of good things happening on the, you know, Lab West, uh, the North Coast, obviously, with the, the mining and some of the uh, advancements that are going to take place there. And the South Coast, now with the Labrador Highway, you know, only probably a week away or two from being fully completed, the opportunities there for, uh, you know, transportation linkages, for tourism, you know, all the things through Labrador, very positive. And, and, and what I have to echo is, all of the province re got to realize, if Labrador excels, uh, so does the rest of this uh, province of ours. So, you know, we're in this together. We're you know, one part of one great uh, province of ours that we got to echo what's happening.
But like every part of this province, everybody needs supports and services. So the business community are in, the uh, indigenous leaders are in, and the municipal leaders. We've got to make sure the provincial government is in. And, and I will echo, um, you know, Minister Parsons and Minister Dempster and uh, MP uh, Jones did echo you know, some of the things that we had suggested over the last number of uh, years about moving things in the right direction. And that, uh, you know, they're, they're on side on ensuring that we are the key benefactors to anything that gets developed and that we're open for business as long as Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are, are the key uh, benefactors here and receive the benefits so we can offer health care and education and supports for seniors and all the other uh, support services that are necessary to keep our people engaged and keep them here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, we're overdue for a break, but what's the latest now on the uh, doctor's situation on Bell Island? Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, there's still a challenge. We don't have a family physician uh, practicing there. Uh, there's, you know, still recruitment. We're still trying to, to get something happening. Fortunate enough that we have been able to get uh, a number of uh, you know, emergency doctors not to go over that we haven't missed the emergency room and not being, uh, you know, having supports there as part of that. But it's a hard way to do business when, you know, I feel for the doctors who in moments notice have to come over and fill in as part of that process and don't know if they'll be there for a day or three days. So, I mean, there's a full recruitment process going on. Uh, but as we've seen what's happening everywhere in this province here, we've got to come up with a strategy that gets not only our own people to stay here, but recruit doctors from other parts of uh, this country or other countries to be able to offer our health care to people in remote and rural areas. David Brazel, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye. And we'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is off this week. We are going to go now to Madonna. Hello, Madonna. Yes, how are you? Great. <laughs> Uh, I'm calling on behalf of the uh, Nordic Avalon Food Bank, which covers the six communities of the Nordic Avalon, to make the public aware tomorrow we're holding our AGM meeting and election of officers. Um, tomorrow evening, July the 5th, 7 p.m., at the St. Nicholas Angan Hall, St. Nicholas Lane, Torbay. And an easy way to find it is. There's a Torbay Bakery here as blue as the sky, and <laughs> the church is right next to it. And it's a beautiful church, i got to say. I, uh, it is. I love that building. Um, uh, has the need gone up? It's not basically the need gone up. It's Unfortunately, we're one of the food banks under the archdiocese that the hall has been sold, and people, I don't think, are fully aware that we're still operating because... This past two food banks, it seems like we have to call them all over again and say, we're here, we're here, we're here. It seems like they probably think that we're really gone because some food banks unfortunately are. So now we have to reach out to try to rent the space, being non-profit, but the AGM meeting tomorrow night might help us, please God, with the Constitution to try to send in to Revenue Canada, prayerfully get tax receipts for donations to pay rent. So, sorry, you, 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 I'm, I'm playing a little bit of catch-up here. So the, the Archdiocese has, has um, sold the building? Yes, we're one of the parish halls that are gone. Mm-hmm. I see. So uh, people might have assumed, as you say, that the food bank is no longer operating out of that space? Yes, for the last few weeks, that's what it seems like. seems like 
their lifts and were wondering why and then it struck me where they read that in the papers and heard it on the news and whatever that parish hall was gone that hosts the food bank maybe they think we're, we're not there so i'm kind of reaching out today for the same reason yes we are here and we did it on facebook to let them know that we will let them know if we're in another space you know, by all means, make sure you come, especially with your children out of school with no breakfast program and no school lunch program. So you're still operating out of the uh, the parish hall for the time being, but you... Yes, Cody's Lane, Torbay. Mm-hmm. So do you need to find another space? Oh, I would say it's hard to say yes, it's hard to say no, but with all the land that's over there, it's probably going to be developed. And if somebody buys it, I guess it's for themselves. They, they may not have room for us. I see. Um, so you have to try and find another avenue, I suppose, now. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's part of, I guess, the focus of this AGM. Yes, preferably the AGM will get us the Constitution up and running so we can send in to Revenue Canada and preferably get some tax receipts for donations to keep rent going somewhere else. We're not going to get a, I have to reach out to the Archdiocese to thank them for the last 30 years that I've been with them, that they basically never really asked for rent. And, you know, they, they really cater to us. I have I have to reach out there. And unfortunately, it's hard to let go, especially me after 30 years. I want to see something up and running before I start to run, so to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. And I mean, you know, of course, that's what is part of uh, of the church community's outreach is, uh, you know, operating things like food banks or allowing food banks to operate on their pro- premises. So you must not be the only uh, food bank that's facing this kind of scenario right now. No, I read there's another four or five or more in St. John's under one food bank that's basically gone or pretty well gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these are some of the things that we don't understand and uh, know. I mean, uh, church officials have been talking about outreach and how their real focus is in the community. It's not necessarily about buildings, but when buildings are gone, uh, how do you keep that going? Yes, everything is gone. There's a community center where they play darts, old people play cards, um, there's karate. It's basically well used. It's, it's one of the buildings that's well used. And prayerfully somebody will buy it that will say yes we'll leave you there and you all pay so much rent and we'll keep it but there's no no way to know yeah no no we're still waiting for uh word to come that who'd sold to who got the highest bid and what's going to happen we really don't know so for the time being, you're still operating out of the uh, parish hall there, uh, St. Nicholas Parish Hall in Torbay. No, Bay. no, we're, we're, we're in uh, the Catholic Hall. It's called the uh, Holy Trinity Parish Hall, actually, and it's um, on Cody's Lane, but we're having our meeting at St. Nicholas. Oh, bigger, I gotcha. bigger space and open to the public. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Holy Trinity Parish Hall. Yeah. I'm so, so tomorrow sorry. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock at the Anglican Church Hall on St. Nicholas Lane in Torbay. That's All right. right. Yeah, meeting and election of officers. And for those who are uh, accustomed to uh, um, uh, availing of the food bank there, it is still operating out of Holy Trinity Parish Hall for the time being. Yes, and you can still call me, Madonna, at 437-6367. 6367? 
Yes, four three seven six three six seven. All right, Madonna, all the best, and uh, hopefully now um, people who have been availing of those services will continue to do so. Yes, thank you very much for all your right. time. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Bye. 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 And uh, you know that's the real. Um, fallout, I suppose. Now, some people say you reap what you sow, uh, particularly as it comes to this uh, this court uh, ruling. Um, and I've heard a lot of people saying that on various Facebook pages and that sort of thing. But there is a real impact, and the parishes are feeling it. And um, the, the people who are involved in the parishes who do all this kind of community outreach are really um, wondering what happens next. Uh, so I'd like to hear from others who might have something to say about that. We're going to go now to Anthony. You're on the air. Hello, do you hear me? Yes, I do. Yeah, I drove across the island yesterday mm-hmm. from St. John's to St. Anthony. Uh, the roads are dangerous. Um, they, you know, it's supposed to be the Trans-Canada, but it's not, it's not fit for highway speeds of 100 kilometers an hour. Uh, or more. So the the it's, uh, if I had an emergency vehicle pull up behind me, like a police officer in a car at, at, for emergency or an ambulance, it is not safe for me to pull into the side of the shoulder. The shoulder's got craters. There's crate the shoulders. The shoulder of the highway, Trans Canada Highway, is 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 non-existent pretty well. Not safe. So you could end up having an accident just by pulling off the road to let emergency vehicle pass you. So is that what you're talking about here? Is the shoulders or, or is it the condition of the highway itself as well? Well, the, shoulder, the, sh- the shoulders are uh, the, the whole condition of the road. The only part of the road uh, in the island is, uh, that is actually good condition is Terranova National Park. Um, as soon as you drive off, some of the most dangerous parts of the highway actually in Newfoundland are uh, once you before Gambo, right into past Grand Falls, up by where that bad accident was, uh, up by, um, oh, I can't remember, past Southbrook, um, all the way past Southbrook, up the way up to Springdale area, all past that area. There's some new road being put down. Uh, I can't remember right now because I never paid much. There are There is some new road being put down in place down before Deer Lake. I uh, can't quite remember, but the roads are dangerous. You can't even, like, um, there's, there's, there's places on the highway, if you're going too fast, you know, you're going 100 kilometers an hour, it's not safe. Uh, you hit, there's the potholes you got to try to avoid. Not everything is marked, but the shoulder of the road is bad. There's a lot of places there's these got orange pylons right across the island uh, where the, wa- the, the shoulder has washed out. But if you're driving at night, it, you're really taking your life in risk. I mean, it, say it's super-duper heavy rain and it's safer just to pull off the side of the road and just buy, just wait out your time to wait for the, the conditions the, to improve. You can't do that because you don't know if you're going to be driving off the road into the ditch. And the shoulders the are not very gone. wide either, are they? I mean, there's only so much that's paved. Sometimes it's got those ridges in it, uh, uh, and then you've got the the gravel yeah, shoulder, have, which, as you indicated, very, in some cases, very, is is washed out. Very shallow, shallow uh, paved uh, shoulders in Newfoundland. Uh, not 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 very wide at all. They're probably a half car wide or less uh, the the paved part. And like you said, the rest of it is 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 uh, gravel. But um, 
it's 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 a liability. I mean, all it takes is for a tourist that's from outside the province or outside the country to get in a, have a, a major accident or have our property damage to their vehicle or trailer to be a lot to you know it could be a litigation problem for for the province. But I I really think it's 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 shameful for our roads to be in such bad conditions. It's, it's just dangerous and it should not be dangerous to pull over to the side of the road, to go on the shoulder road, to let emergency vehicle go by, or even to get off the road because the rain is too hard and it's just too dangerous to be, it's too dangerous to drive that you could hydroplane and go off the road. Um, so I just brought that up that I noticed that the road is in, in for a highway is not up to highway standard that maybe the fast speed you could do maybe in places maybe is 90, maybe 80. Um, there's a lot of places where it's posted for 100 kilometers an hour, but you have to slow down to 70 kilometers an hour and try to weave around the potholes. Anthony, uh, I appreciate your call. We're well overdue for a break now for the news, but uh, I do appreciate your call. And I'd like to hear from others and, uh, who have uh, similarly traveled across the province. And I, I, I want other people to, to report the road conditions because nothing is going to get done unless everybody reports the problem. Appreciate your call this morning, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. We're up to news now with Brian Major. The Workday Winds Down with Greg Smith in The Drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. And what do you think about what Anthony had to say just before the news break? Um, talking about the highway conditions uh, across Newfoundland and Labrador. And he uh, he drove from St. John's to St. Anthony yesterday. I forgot to ask him how much that cost. But uh, he's saying that uh, the best part of the road was through Terra Nova National Park. And, uh, Freaks I think... me out. i got to drive up there at the end of the month. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Fonz, you don't. Um, but um, it's uh, Terra Nova National Park, I've noticed before, you know, it, is, it, is it done to a different standard? I, I'll put that out there to the listeners and see. But it always seems like, you know, the, the lanes are a little bit wider, those shoulders are nice and wide, and the pavement seems to last a bit longer. I'm not sure why. Maybe somebody can tell us uh, a little bit of something about that. But if you've been traveling across the island, tell us what you think of the road conditions. Are they better than they used to be? Worse? Um, I found personally myself between uh, St. John's and, let's say, Whitburn, uh, which I'm most familiar with, uh, has been better lately than it has been in recent years. But maybe somebody has something else to say about that. Give us a, a call. And let us know what you have to say. We're going to go now to uh, Ron. You're on the air. Yes, Linda, good morning. Um, I'm, I don't want to speak about the roads. I want to speak about the penitentiary here in St. John's. Okay, then. Um, I have a friend who uh, was incarcerated down there recently. He's, uh, I don't want to talk about the court case, but just the communication down there, right? So, uh, you know, he, he's not guilty of a crime at this point in time. He's accused of a crime and was sent down there. Well, he's been down for a few months now, just waiting for trial. But um, when he first got there, it was my first experience uh, having to stay in contact with someone I knew that was in the penitentiary. And so they said, yeah, you set up an account and... Uh, the inmate can call you. So how it works, you uh, phone this one 800 number, whatever. 
they set up an account. You you pay for the account on a credit card or whatever, so they can call you collect. And um, so I did that. I set up an account, and uh, and he was calling me and uh, everything. And then all of a sudden, the system stopped working. So that was back. How do you like, mean the system stopped working? He couldn't call me anymore. It's like, say, if you got Rogers or Bell or whatever, like saying your phone is not working kind of thing, right? So you phone Rogers, your phone Bell, they say, yeah, my phone's not working. They come fix it. So it was and, the system and not maybe something in the uh, account? Yes. So the, originally the, the, they, the people at the penitentiary, maybe it's the account, maybe it's the PIN number, maybe it's whatever, right? But when it was checked out, it's the system itself because it's not Rogers or Bell or Shaw, as near as I can understand, the account, like the system was set up with a Canadian company, I believe, I could be wrong on this, and they switched over to a company at the United States, and shortly after they switched, the system stopped working. And so it's not a problem with the account that he has set up or anything, that it's not enough money or he don't have the right PIN number or anything. It's actually the system. So when I phoned the 1-800 number, they said, well, Maybe it's your phone, because you can only give them one phone number to call, right? you got to be approved on a list and make sure that the inmate can actually call you, like kind of thing, and all this stuff. So it's a whole procedure to it. So um, when I uh, was talking to the people on the other end, that they, I said, well, what about if I gave a different phone number? Like I got a home number, cell number kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah, you could do that, right? So I paid another $50 and set up an account. They charged like 10 bucks to set it up. So I got $40 for the time left to speak in that. I think it's like 10 or 20 cents a minute to talk or something. And um, so I set the money up on a different account. And then he still couldn't phone me. So I phoned back the company. So, well, can you give me a refund on my money? No, we don't give refunds back. So <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, geez. So I haven't been able to receive a phone call from my friend in, well, since it seems like, the, like around the end of May or something, right? So, so how important is it to that person to be able to talk to somebody outside the confines of those walls? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, really important, like kind of thing, because you can only visit. I never knew none of this till my friend was down there. And like I said, he, he's not even proven guilty yet of his crime that he's accused of. He, he's saying, like, I didn't do this, right? And But whatever, you know, the justice system works, like, in whatever way, like. So he's been remanded down there for, well, almost three months now. So uh, we're just waiting for the whole justice system to fall in place. But for him to be there for, say, the end of May, and you can only visit twice a week. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know none of this till like, last few months, right? So you can only visit twice a week. So... You know, if you got different friends want to visit your family members or whatever, and you know, so he can call out as many times as he wants to to speak to anybody who sets an account up. But if anyone wants to physically go visit, you can only do that twice a week. So the interaction with other people to communicate things like, you know, are my bills being paid or, you know, how is the house doing? How is my cat doing? How is like, you know, all this kind of stuff like you know, is and your mental health too. Like you know, he can you know is just you know, and he's slowly like getting depressed down there as well as the stress of everything else, right? So, you know, so I was talking to the superintendent today, and he said, "Man, he said like, is I don't know what to tell you. It's an old building. It's the system. Is they're telling us they're trying to fix it. They're here. Like I'm on their case. They, uh, you know, but he said, unfortunately, he said the government has chosen to go with this new company 
and there's nothing but problems with it since we started, right? So, you know. So, so not they're not able to give you any uh, satisfaction in terms of when it might be fixed, when you might no. be able to hear from uh, this person? No, I've I phoned the company in the United States probably about this issue about three or four different times up until this morning. And uh, when I was talking to the lady today in the States, I don't know if there's someone wherever the hell is at, but I can, like, people working from home, I can hear dishes clanging in the background while she's reading off a computer screen. Can't give me any information. We have technical difficulties. We're working on it. We can't give you a time frame. And while she's talking to me, I can hear youngsters banging dishes in the background kind of thing, right? So it's not very professional answering service either. So, you know, is just frustrating. Now, now, I know this guy's sister, she's phoned the Justice Department about different issues with the penitentiary thing down there, but I don't know if she's actually spoken to him about this phone system, but that's something I'm going to do as well. And have you heard from anyone else who has encountered similar types of problems uh, reaching loved ones or friends outside of HMP? No, well, I don't know anyone else that, you know, got, you know, anyone that's in that situation. I'm sure all the inmates down there are pretty well in the same boat, I guess. So, you know, when I spoke to the superintendent this morning or whoever answered the phone, I phoned the superintendent's office and they're well aware of it, right? They said they're on their case, they're trying to do it, but there's nothing they can do. It's not Bell or Rogers. It's, it's an, I guess it's an American company. And guys, this is all like secure phone lines and monitored phone calls. And it's, you know, you can't just have inmates phone and just every time Dick and Harry, that's probably in some kind of, syndicate a crime ring i guess or whatever no, that's right you know, you know they don't, you don't want if if they're uh uh into those kinds of things you don't yeah. want them to continue that enterprise yeah, yeah. If, if he phones me like i gotta be like checked out and vetted like that say okay well it's okay for you to phone this guy kind of thing right or whatever my name has to be put on a list and it has to be looked at and all that stuff right so you know so he can actually phone me even right so yeah, yeah. Well, that's very interesting, Ron. We'll see uh, if anyone else has encountered similar problems down there, and uh, we'll try and get the Justice Department. Well, now, if I phone today and give them a phone number and want to put $100 on the account, they'll take the money. They'll take your money, but you, your, your friend still won't be able to get a hold of you. No, and then when I ask for my money back, they can't give me my money back. So it's like, but they'll still take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ron, we'll see what others have to say. Thanks. Okay, Linda, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, your thoughts on that. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Have you encountered similar problems uh, trying to um, have somebody you know that's in HMP call you? Uh, give us a call. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll speak with Ryan Cleary. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We are going to go now to line two to speak with Ryan Cleary. Hello. Good morning, Linda, to you and your listeners. Thank you very much for taking the call. And if you don't mind, I'd like to switch up topics to speak about the commercial fisheries for a minute. Absolutely. Um, So the reason I'm calling, Linda, is more specifically about the fish pricing system in this province and how it has 100% completely collapsed and become a joke, not just here in Newfoundland and Labrador, but right across eastern Canada. Linda, for the information to your listeners, I know you're familiar with this. The way it, it generally works in terms of fish pricing is that when the FFAW and processors can't reach a deal on the price of a particular species, the price then goes to what's called a price-setting panel. The panel makes uh, the ultimate decision 
It's binding on both parties, binding in that there's no vote and the price is imposed. So in the crisis, like an arbitration. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So uh, most uh, um, unions, for example, uh, the members would vote on their collective agreements, but that's not happens with this uh, price setting panel. It makes a decision. It's imposed. There is no vote. In the case of Snow Crab, um, and you're probably familiar with this as well, the most recent minimum price paid to the inshore fleet was set in mid-May, and it was set at $6.15 a pound. So my reason for calling, or one of my two reasons for calling, Linda, is that there are buyers like Green's Seafood Limited, whose crab is processed at Quinlan's plant in Bayvert, I believe. Greens is now charging inshore boats for services like ice or offloading, discharging, freight, logistics that were always included in the price paid to fishermen. So instead of paying fishermen a minimum price of $6.15 a pound as set by the price setting panel, fishermen say the price to them is now actually $3.70 a pound Two forty-five a pound less than a minimum price set by the price-setting panel, given those new new deductions. So fishermen are being asked to sign a paper agreeing to those charges before they they can go fishing for snow crab. We've CNL has actually been forwarded a copy of the paper by Green Seafood, and and, and again it uh, it uh, they're making or, or they they want owner-operators to sign that. Um, none that I've spoken to have signed it yet, but they want them to sign it before they go to sea. So this information has been passed on to the provincial fisheries minister, um, and we've heard to the grapevine that it's being brought to the attention of the, the labor board, but we haven't heard anything yet uh, from provincial fisheries minister Derek Bragg, and from my perspective, he needs to make a statement on this because faith in the panel system of fish pricing in this province has been 100% completely undermined. Have you heard of anything like this happening before? No, have not heard this before. We know that the initial price of snow crab was set at 760. ASP went to the panel and asked for reconsideration. The panel set the price at 615. Uh, and now for various reasons, they want uh, the, the processors through the Association of, uh, of Seafood Producers want that price dropped. And it seems to me, it, it seems to owner operators that they're trying to do, they're trying to do this through the back door with this imposition of these, uh, of these charges for different services that were never charged before. So, like I said, Linda, from our perspective, it completely undermines the pricing system. And this is where the provincial government and Derek Bragg specifically have got to stand up and make a statement on this. You know, is, is this okay that this is happening? I, I want to give you another example, um, Linda, and it has to do with shrimp. So, as I'm sure you're also aware, the panel set the summer price of shrimp last week at 90 cents a pound. Now, that decision by the panel, it wasn't unanimous. It's a three-person panel. Um, and in making the decision, um, the written decision, I, I, I read it over the weekend, the panel said straight up that the summer price um, probably would not result in a fishery this year. So the panel set the price of, of shrimp at 90 cents a pound knowing inshore boats wouldn't fish for it and acknowledging the decision probably wouldn't result in a fishery. So from my perspective, I can't believe the panel didn't resign en masse, given the impossibility of their situation. But, but Linda, my reason for also calling is to make your audience aware that, that, that this is happening and, and, again, to call on the provincial minister to actually do something. The panel system of fish pricing in this province is unraveling on the watch of Derek Bragg, and so far he, he and his government, 
They're not doing anything about it. But it's it's an elephant in the room. In this case, it's the elephant on the wharf uh, in this case. And this is where the province, um, which legislated the panel into existence, has got to stand up and say something about this. Like I say, otherwise, the whole faith in the system is completely undermined. So, indeed. Why, why have the system at all if if um, changes are being made randomly um, on the fly, as you t- indicate? So has anyone approached Greens to see what's going on there? No, like I say, I've, I've actually got a copy of the agreement uh, that Greens, wa- Greens wants um, owner-operators to sign before they go fishing. Like I say, I don't know of any o- owner-operators who have signed it. But the fact that they're looking to institute two, more than $2.20 in charges to bring down that six fifteen price is just, is just ridiculous. It makes a mockery of the whole fish price-setting system. So we have yet to hear from, from Derek Bragg, the minister. We've heard nothing from the FFAW, which is the collective bargaining agent for the harvesters. So this needs to be brought to light because this has become a joke. Well, we're going to try and reach out to the minister, Derek Bragg, and indeed uh, Derek Butler with the Association of Seafood Producers to see what they have to say about it. I'll also send a copy of that uh, of that agreement from Greens. I'll send a copy to your newsroom so you can see firsthand, uh, Linda. But thank you very much for taking this call. Yeah, for sure. And send it to me as well so I have it handy. I'll do that right now. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye. And your thoughts on that? I- I'd like to hear what you have to say. We're going to try and reach uh, Minister Derek Bragg and the Association of Seafood Producers to find out what's on the go there. Uh, we're going to go now to uh, Wrong Mouse. Here we go. Gerald, you're on the air. Hi, Linda. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. You're in the West Coast now, pissing on like cats and dogs. Oh, is it really? Oh, my God. Yes, it's coming out like crazy. Well, be careful if you're out there. Uh, I'm uh, yeah I'm uh, trying to be careful. Linda, uh, uh, let me talk about the the airlines. Uh, I uh, or the company that I work with, we we deliver luggage from the airports. Okay, like delivering to people and people to all you know the, what they so call I wouldn't call it last luggage, but I mean people like uh, you, you know you get people get on the plane. You say, oh, I seen it go on the plane, uh, or, or I, I checked it through to the checkout and. They don't realize, I mean, uh, you know what, I would not want a person, a counter person that checks you in at the airport. I wouldn't want that job. Not now, not for the life of me. Wouldn't want you were, they don't realize what those people are going through. It's not their fault. I mean, they're just checking in the luggage. They're just checking in, giving you your tickets. They're, and you know what, uh, they, they're going to hell and back again. You know, to put up with the, what they got to put up with. I mean, I, I can only imagine they're dealing with all of the frustration. I mean, that's the person that you you're facing. They're dealing with all of that frustration, all of that anger, all of that angst. I, exactly, and you know what? Once, once they check in, they don't let in your luggage goes past them and goes to wherever it goes. They got no control of it. They, 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 you know, first you know they done their job, and which they do, they do their job good. And I, I tell you, I got to give them credit, like. We're all over Canada, wherever they're going to, wherever they're going to, I've got to give them credit. Now, another thing, Linda, people uh, in the last five months, we've been delivering luggage that comes comes in, and like I said, people that say, oh, we're late, what, what air can I do, or, or they didn't put me luggage on. You know what? I've been delivering, and the company, and a bunch of us here on the West Coast are delivering luggage, and you know what? Every bag, people, Linda, are traveling heavy like you wouldn't believe. 
I mean, I had a baggie the other day and put it on my van. And it took me and another fellow put that suitcase on that van. Now, they don't realize, I mean, uh, air, airplane is like a tractor trailer. You can only take so much weight. Once they want to to the capacity of weight on that plane, they got to leave luggage behind because of the weight. And you know what? People are traveling heavy big time. Yeah, I believe that to to be the case as well. And uh, I mean, people think they can, you know, pack as much as they want to pack. But the truth is, is that that all adds to the weight. It adds to the cost. It adds to the fuel on board, and uh, it affects the number of passengers you can take as well. Exactly, exactly. And people don't realize you're not taking lots of weight or left behind on purpose. I mean, like I said, there's only so much weight they can carry, and, and that's what they're doing. I mean, people are not realizing that. And I'm telling you right now, like I said, I've been delivering this for the last five months, and man, I can tell you, the suitcase are heavy galore. And I, you know what? And the people that come home, like, uh, don't mind the overweight, because you do pay a lot of money for overweight luggage. I mean, no different. But like I said, then uh, do not leave your luggage behind. The only reason why you're leaving it behind because the plane is overloaded with weight and you can only take so much weight. People have to come on. you got to look at it that way. And don't take your frustration on the people that they're lying and checking you in and checking you in. But don't, don't take it on them. They're doing their job. Now, what, when the luggage goes behind them at that door, their job is done. Why have it not their fault? Give them credit, and we are busy delivering luggage. Believe me. Gerald, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lenny. Have a good day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back. And uh, for anybody who's been trying to call the show, it's been a really busy morning, I have to say. Anyone who's been trying to uh, call the show and uh, it's been ringing through, um, Fonz King only has uh, can only answer one phone at a time. So he's doing his best out there. So if you've been trying to get through and you haven't had any luck, uh, do continue to try. I would strongly encourage you to do so. Now, we're going to go to uh, Daryl. He's on line three. Hi, Daryl. Oh, hi, Linda. How are you today? Great. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks, and thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Linda, one comment today there, like, uh, as we know, the past while, there have been a lot of tragic accidents on the high roads, especially by Bishop Falls there recently, uh, transport trucks and personal vehicles and uh, so forth. And what needs to be done, which could help with a lot of the problem, do you remember in the late 80s when the federal government uh, took the railway out of the province. I think it was 88, 89. Right, the Roads and, for Rails Agreement. Yeah, and then they were supposed to put a divided highway right across the province, which never happened. And I think, uh, I know like a lot of people had concerns, communities like could bypass business and so forth, but you could do a divided highway like uh, every other province in Canada got divided highway. Now, I'm not sure about PEI, but... Uh, but, I mean, you could have a divided highway and not bypass any business. You could have, like, off-ramps and geared, uh, you know, that won't bypass or affect any businesses off the highway. And so what happened to that agreement? So the federal government was responsible 100% to do that. So why don't we uh, revisit that and uh, have the feds uh, upgrade the highways and have it divided right across the province? Because a lot of the accidents are happening. There are head-on collisions. 
passing and so forth. Now, a lot of times it's probably due to negligence or could be weather or whatever the case may be. But uh, how come uh, I think this should be revisited? Uh, uh, I know, like, you know, the feds and the provinces and whatever were, like, probably cash-strapped to a point. But uh, but when it comes to uh, people's safety, you can't put a price tag on to that. Turning lanes, for that matter. Um, you know, yeah. there's been uh, some arguments in the past about uh, people <clears throat> who are trying to turn off the highway into a, into a business or turn off the highway into a park or whatever the case may be. And, and in some cases, there are no turning lanes. Now, the uh, provincial government's stand on that is if you have a business and you want a turning lane, that's your cost, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, uh, others have uh, argued that, that, you know, what, what cost um, safety? Yeah, well, well, true enough, but when, when the government says, okay, it's probably responsibility of the business, but I don't agree with that. I think that's where the government should come in because the business, like everyone else, we're paying taxes for service. So in actual essence, that I think any like road safety or whatever is the responsibility either of the provincial and federal government. And when you look at good high roads, like Joe was saying, the best part of uh, the highway in Newfoundland is uh, – Terranova, but that was done by the federal government. So I don't know why the federal and provincial, like why would federal do it and be better highways versus provincial, but what they want to look at, I know they use it in other places, is recyclable tires to use for paving. And and with that, they got good results because what happens with recycled tire, like say frost-wise, you'll never get no potholes or whatever because with the recyclable tire asphalt, it goes with the frosts, and, and, and you never get no uh, potholes or deterioration off the road. So they, they do it in Ontario, as a matter of fact. So why don't we look at recyclable tires for paving, stuff like that, like, uh, you know, stuff like innovative that way, you know, that type of thing. But, but what we got to do is get our divided highway across the province, which don't affect any business and bypass anything, and go back to that railway agreement of the late 80s. Uh, that would alleviate a lot of, some of the problems. I'm not saying it's going to alleviate all accidents, but it'll sure uh, cut down on them because a lot of we got a lot of head-on collisions or whatever the case may be if they uh, uh, do their studies. Like, example, what happened there in Bishop Falls. I'm not sure what happened there. I guess they're still investigating, but it was, it was a very sad story what happened there, very tragic among, well, all accidents are tragic and sad. So uh, I, I think this is what we got to look at, and the feds are responsible for that because when they took the railway out of it, now we got more traffic on our roads. You got more transport trucks, yeah, like transport and stuff. So this has seriously got to be uh, revisited, in my opinion. And uh, water buildup on the highway. Uh, I mean, I've yeah. I've traveled <clears throat> in other provinces where it's been, a, you know, a deluge, and the water wicks off the road. Uh, right. Here it pools for some reason, and that's so dangerous. Yeah, you and you're exactly you're right because I know there's times I've I've drove and it's been a bit of water on the road. Now I'll cut my speed down. I drive to the conditions, but a lot of people are still driving like it's a drive pavement. And, and but, but and this is what happened. You get more hydroplaning, more accidents. But you are right. Is is a poor drainage system. It's terrible if you get a bit of rain. Like why is there a buildup? And uh, you know and and if they did a highway right across the province, not only that. We got a lot of turns and so forth. I mean, if it's done right, even if you got to have bridges or whatever, if you just had everything like a lot of problems, if you just drive straight, that will cut down a lot of uh, accidents as well. But in our case, we got a lot of turns and so forth. So it's a combination of things that needs to be uh, uh, revisited, no doubt about it.
Daryl, I appreciate your call uh, this morning. Thank you very much. All right. And again, uh, thank you for your time and all the best to you and VOCM. And you guys have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. Take care. Bye. And uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, the roads, of course, this is the time of year when many people are hitting the road. Uh, have you been out to places that you haven't seen in a little while because of the uh, COVID situation? And are you surprised by what you're seeing on the roads? Are you pleasantly surprised? Are you disappointed? Uh, give us a call and let us know what you have to say. I see that a gentleman who was on the show last week with uh, Patty Daly, he had his bike um, missing, his motorcycle. Um, he got it back, but he says it's been trashed unfortunately. And uh, the saddlebags were removed and apparently the uh, the bike is uh, getting up there in age and um, he can't find the parts for it. So a bit of a sad story there. He got his bike back but uh, not in the condition in which it was taken. Uh, We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. Last uh, 15 minutes or so of the show, now is your chance to get through. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM Morning Show. This is Open Line on VOCM. And we're back into the final few minutes of the show. We do have some lines open, so now's your chance to give us a call if you'd been trying earlier or if you'd like to try for the first time. We're going to go now to Lionel. You're on the air. Uh, good day. Hi, Lionel. Um, Hi. Uh, about the roads in Newfoundland, I returned here back in uh, 2019. I- I'm absolutely appalled at the uh, engineering and construction of the main roads and the uh, deplorable condition of every side road I've been on. They're just, uh, uh, I mean, it's like Newfoundlanders have no self-respect. Anybody that respects themselves wouldn't let their country go to such rack and ruin it's absolutely atrocious water pools on the main highway because they're improperly engineered there's no crown on the road to allow drainage off both sides and that's the way you build a straight road and if it's curved you curve it one way right Um, the uh, downside is always on the inside of the curve uh, but they don't do that in Newfoundland. They uh, they make uh, holes where water accumulates. And then they build bridges that uh, uh, where they bring the concrete up through the, uh, through the blacktop for no logical reason. Nobody else in Canada does that either. And uh, uh, the, you've got trucks beating the heck out of bridges constantly because of the uh, poor engineering in it. I've never seen anything like it anywhere in Canada. Not to mention live- the, the plows, of course. Uh, some Sometimes new pavement goes down or, or something, uh, uh, you know, the... You even see it here in the capital city region, for that matter. And then, uh, um, lo and behold, come winter time, it all gets tore up again. Yes, it gets torn up by the plows again. Yeah, it's really poor engineering. But there you go. So is it? I, I may it, have it, to move back to British Columbia. I lived there for sixty years and uh, ten years in Saskatchewan. So. Uh, so what do you figure they, is they, the problem here? Is it roads. is it just simply the cost that we're cutting corners? No, no. It's um, 
it's not wanting to own your own reality. The government doesn't want to own it. Uh, look at the shamble they've got the healthcare system in. Look at the shambles they got the road system in and the shambles the fishing system is in. It's it's like total disrespect. Nobody in Newfoundland actually respects themselves. If they would, they wouldn't live in such shambles. Uh, so you're blaming the people of Newfoundland for this? All of you. We all have to own it. It's our frickin' world. We're the ones who are living this life in these shambles. So what can we do about it? <laughs> Grab a hold of your, uh, uh, your MP by the scrub of the neck and tell him to smarten up and fix the health system, the road system, the fishing system. Lionel, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> no nonsense from, from Lionel, that's for sure. We're going to go now to Kevin. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Kevin. Yes, I would like to comment on the gentleman just on there. He said he was uh, working up in uh, B.C. and across Canada for the last 50, 60 years. Uh, it's too bad he didn't live here and contribute uh, his taxes. Uh, maybe the roads would have been a bit better. It seems think? to me it comes down to money, but uh, surely are we, I mean, we've had this problem in Newfoundland and Labrador. It's been acknowledged that we're, you know, every time there was an election, all of a sudden, you know, in certain districts, you get this new um, bit of pavement on the road. And, you know, but that system seems to be changing a bit. Uh but should we be making our roads to last? Oh, yeah. I mean, all you got to do is look at Terranova Park to see how a road should be built. I mean, that road is built to last. I mean, the other roads around here are kind of pitiful compared to that. So what's the difference? Is it money? Uh, I, I guess it would be. Uh, yeah, because they, they uh, really went way down to... Uh, to get bedrock and, and uh, build it up from there. I mean, it was amazing the way they built it. But I guess it is. it does come down to money, I guess. Um, one of our previous callers, a gentleman who had been driving from St. John's to St. Anthony, was talking about the shoulders. And I mean, I've noticed that numerous times as someone who's traveled with a family before. And uh, sometimes you've got to pull over quickly if uh, someone in the back is getting sick or has uh, made oh, yeah. a mess or whatever the case may be. And it's actually, um, if you've got to do that, it's a, it, it feels dangerous. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the, some of the, the edges are, are not the best, I must say. But that's it. That's all I need to comment on that, gentlemen. All right. No problem. Right. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, and uh, your thoughts on that. It also, uh, Fonz, we have this uh, situation, and I know you hit the road a lot. We have this situation whereby um, you go through major communities mm -hmm. like Whitburn and Clarenville and Gander and Grand Falls, Windsor, um, where you're actually driving through a community where you have people who are doing their ordinary things you know, trying to get into Tim's or uh, the local gas station or whatever the case may be, entering onto this highway where speeds are supposed to go lower. I've seen it too many times. I lived in Gander for quite a few years, and there's been some very 
serious and devastating crashes in and around that area. Um, and I know the town has worked hard to try and um, uh, alleviate that situation. But some people have said, why don't... and uh, Anth- uh, the gentleman who called earlier, Anthony, sort of suggested that. Why don't we have a bypass a re- and, and service roads that get you into communities so the businesses don't suffer? Mm-hmm. You still got to get your gas. You still got to get your Timmies or whatever the case may be. Um, and yet avoid all of this situation where you have traffic that's turning onto a highway. Right. I know. <laughs> boils down to money. It boils down to money, I suppose, but you don't see that in very many other places. No. Nope. The Trans-Canada Highway has service roads. We don't seem to have that here. So, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are coming to visit the province who are getting a little bit of an eye-opener right now in terms of that. Another thing is the whole idea of infrastructure for electric vehicles. And I do know that we're putting in more of these electric charging stations all across the province, and that's great news. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are thinking very seriously these days about picking up an electric vehicle, and hopefully once the supply becomes uh, loosened up a little bit and they start um, uh, getting off the production lines a little faster, um, where are you going to charge? And where are these electric charging stations? And how many are needed? And how many spots are needed? That uh, it seems to me that it would it would need a lot of parking spaces because it takes a little bit of, of time to charge up a, uh, an electric vehicle. Yeah. Not a huge amount of time, but a little bit of time. Enough time more than it takes you to gas up your car. Exactly. So I mean, it's a, it's a great for tourism. You gotta if you're going to charge your vehicle, you well you might as well go in and get something to eat, or you might as well go do a little bit of shopping or something like that. Um, but it does take a little bit of space and a little bit of time. So how much pavement is needed for all of that? How much space is needed for all of that? Anyway, there's a lot of uh, questions that yet to be answered on those kinds of things. And we have a few minutes left in the show. And Fonz, I know you've been busy working the lines there. <laughs> I have been. Uh, you're on the phone with one person and another line is ringing and it's ringing and ringing. And suddenly they give up because, of course, it takes time to get to those calls. But now we have calls. Um, but uh, Brian Medor was telling me earlier today that uh, this is a, uh, an auspicious occasion. Um, canned heat going out the country. Really? Yeah. He okay. was uh, telling me that that would be a good tune to play. So maybe we that. can play a little bit of Canned Heat in the last few minutes of the show uh, where we're uh, low on calls for the time being. And, you know, we've been talking about hitting the highway and going out the country. And Newfoundlanders and Labradorians love to go up in the woods and out around the bay. Uh, so if we've got a little bit of Canned Heat, let's go out the country. You know I got a little bit of Canned Heat. All right. It's, you know, Linda, always a pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow.